0: All right, so we are going to be continuing our series in Proverbs. As you know, one of my favorite things is that um, God's sense of humor. Um, and so today we're talking about planning and about time management, which I am an incredible expert. Um, <laughs> A couple things happened this week that that make this even more, uh, even funnier to me. Uh, Middle of this week, Sarah, who was leading worship this morning, texted me and said, hey, what's the theme for this week? And what are some key verses um, for this weekend? And um, I said, well, the theme is time management and planning. And that's all I have. (laughs) And I know she thought it was a joke, but it was not a joke. Um, it was reality, and then on top of all that, next week, Chris and Heather are going to be sharing about um, what's going on. They're going to be sharing a little bit more during the service, and so I had it in my mind, like, oh, they're, they're coming next week, and then they walk into the service here, and I thought, oh, is that this week? <laughs> and so I'm thinking, so now I'm looking back here and going, planning, time management. This is like just as a reminder, and, this, and it is next week, so just so you know, we had planned that properly. I just... I'm always uh, I'm always unsure so um so why would I be talking about planning you would definitely think this is certainly a topic when we were looking at themes and proverbs and and looking at the different people who would be preaching this week or this summer of all the people I should be the last person to talk about this but in a way that makes me the best person to talk about this see because planning typically doesn't seem very spiritual Planning, when we think about planning, we just think like, okay, that's the, that's the nuts and bolts, that's the stuff that I do in my own strength, I plan, I think through things, I can organize stuff, and, and so it, it can get into this realm where we say, okay, um, I don't need God for that. Like, I do my plans, and then God does his thing, and then this all works out. In fact, a lot of people, we get buy into this lie in the church that, that planning is, is decidedly unspiritual, like, this, this is a great myth in the church, that the idea that, that spontaneity is somehow more spiritual. But to say that is, is to say that the Holy Spirit is incapable of planning, that somehow the Holy Spirit is spontaneous. And yet, when we look throughout Scripture, you can say a lot of things about God, but, but spontaneity is, is never on His radar. Our God is, is a planning God. And we see this in, in so many places. I think we have some of these verses up on the screen. But Jeremiah 1, 5 says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I, I appointed you a prophet to the nations. And then later in Jeremiah 29, 11, a, a verse that many of us are very familiar with. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. So we see creation was planned. You were planned. Your salvation was planned. Eternity is planned. Our God is a planner. And we are to be like our God. And so planning is incredibly spiritual. So let's pray and ask God to to order our steps and our thoughts this morning. Father, we... One way or another, we have prepared for this. We've either um, prepared intentionally or we have prepared unintentionally for this moment and for this morning. But regardless of our intentionality or not, God, you have been planning this moment here this morning for all ages. Before anything was spoken into existence, you knew this morning, you knew this day, you knew who would be here And you have ordered our steps to this point. So God, I pray that we would see that, and we would love it, that we would be emboldened by that truth, and we would glorify and honor you at this time. In Jesus' name, amen. So planning is incredibly spiritual. Now, now don't worry. For those of you who are more spontaneous, um, there will be some vindication for you um, later on. But understand that it, no matter where you are on the spectrum, from the Uber planners to the I've never planned a thing in my life, there's, there's hope here. There's, there's going to be some things that will probably push you a little bit, and there will be things that will encourage you. And I hope that, so I, I hope that this message will be a great encouragement to those of you who maybe have planned a lot in your life and things just haven't gone the way that you thought they were going to go and that's caused grief or stress in your life. Or maybe for those of you who, who haven't planned and you feel like your lack of planning has, has led to some missed opportunities. Or maybe to those of you who have great plans but you just have a, you, you struggle getting started and you just struggle with, uh, with procrastination and with, with other things that just keep you from, from going down the road that you want to go down. And I could address those things by just giving some proverbs on the importance of, of planning and, and working hard, but, but you know me well enough to know that, that I can't do that. I want to talk about, through this, how in Proverbs we see how the gospel sheds light on our planning and how it changes everything about the way we think about our lives and how we think about our plans and how we act those plans out. His gospel people, we think and live constantly in light of the gospel, and it, it changes everything. So we see that God plans, and God plans to show the worthiness of planning and because it communicates something deeper to us. So so we need to understand there's a difference between the way God plans and the way we plan, right? Okay, so God plans not because he needs to, not because if he didn't plan he'd be caught off guard somehow and he wouldn't know what to do. God plans primarily to show us the value of what he is doing, to show you the value of what he's planning. So think about it. Anybody that's received a gift from from a loved one, how much more is that gift worth when you know all the time and energy and thought that was put into it? How much more is that worth? I mean, I know that there's no question that the, the nights that Lauren and I go out, when when I have communicated, it, the planning ahead, where, where I have um, gotten someone to watch the kids and I've figured out where we're going to go and I've figured out different options and I know how long it's going to take to get to wherever and, and that I've, I've planned everything out, that in those moments it really doesn't matter how awesome each one of those things are, what really communicates love and values that I took the time to really plan it and think it through and so in the same way in a very similar way when we look at how God has loved us and rescued us and how he works in us when we see that that has been ordered from the beginning of time it communicates something of worth to us that when we realize that we weren't just sinners roaming around and then we're just like pulling at his coat and saying hey hey pay attention to me can you rescue me and him looking down at me like "Ah, oh, sure yeah i can do that But instead, to know that before you were even formed in your mother's womb, God knew you. And He loved you, and He formed you, and He walked with you, and He planned for this moment. How much more does that communicate? And that is also, that's where we're similar to God. That is a big reason why we should plan. Our planning communicates value. Our planning communicates what we value and what something is worth. There's no way to get around that. And so in that way, we are like God. But there is another way that we are unlike God. We also need to plan because we are limited people with limited resources. Proverbs 21.5 says, The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. Ephesians 5 says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So we know that we are called to make the best use of our time. That's why planning is important for us in a way that is unlike for God. See, see God's plans don't make his actions more successful, but they do for us. Ben, ben Franklin is credited with saying, if you fail to plan, you're planning to fail. It's a cutesy phrase. It's on probably every social studies teacher's desk. If you fail to plan. You are planning to fail. If you you want something to succeed, you should plan because unlike God, we are not limitless. Planning is important for us here because our time is limited and we have this strained relationship with time. Ever since the fall, we have a strained relationship with time. Time moves quickly and it moves slowly and always in the wrong direction for us. Right? It's, it's limited. It's part of the curse in this. that If you've ever heard the phrase, we used to, people used to tell us this about parenting, they still do. It's that, that days pass like years and years pass like days. And we've all had this feeling that time moves too slow and too fast at the same time. We've, we've had the experience of time moving too slowly, where we're waiting for something that we're excited about, waiting for a trip, waiting for a birthday, Or sometimes when you realize, like you feel like you've been at work all day and you look up and it's like 9.15 a.m. And you're thinking, oh, it's not lunchtime yet. Or when you're rocking a baby, trying to get the baby to sleep at at 2 in the morning. It goes so slowly. And yet time moves so quickly. Vacation that feels like it's just started. It feels like as soon as it starts, you're preparing to go home. I'm reminded of that with the graduation parties that I attended this year. and You look at the pictures and you just see a blink. It just goes by in a blink. We have this strained relationship with time. It's, it's a clicking, to- cl- clicking clock that never pauses. It never resets. It moves slowly when we want it to move quickly and quickly when we want it to slow down. And we deal with this in all kinds of ways, with philosophies, And so the world tries to come up with ways of dealing with this tension. And so we have um, philosophies like live each day like it's your last. So in the mindset, the time moves quickly, our time is short. Well, then live each day to the fullest, which means live each day like it's your last day. But that is terrible advice. I mean, if you ever think that through, that is just horrible advice. If if this was my last day of my life, I mean, on any given day, if it was my last day, there are a lot of things I would not do. I would not be taking my kids to school on the last day of my life. I wouldn't check my email. I wouldn't respond to any of you. That's, it's a joke. Because in an eternity, I'd have plenty of time. That's the point. Um, <laughs> here, I wouldn't do it. I mean, I, living each day like your last is not really a Christian worldview. It's, 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 a, it's a pagan worldview. It's not a Christian worldview. It, it results in, in self-indulgent, short-sighted behavior because by definition, then my life is short-sighted and I only have today to live for. Well, then the world would say, well, then just consume all you can. And so then we push on the other side. And we say, okay, well, don't live every day like it's your last. Take it slow. Stop and smell the roses. You have plenty of time. No reason to rush through life. And yeah, there are positives to, to this as well, but, but how many times in your life have you thought to yourself, I've got, I've got plenty of time. And then before you know it, it's gone. I mean, I've talked to so many people who have said, I, I always thought I would have more time to do this. I mean, every parent knows that you spend the first part of their childhood wishing that they didn't need you so much and the second part of it, wishing they needed you more. So then how do we think about it? If we know it's so important, then then how do we apply this? How do we think about this? How does the Christian view this in light of the gospel? Well, one clear thing that we have to do is, whatever you do, do not be passive about your time. It is precious and it is limited before we even get to how and so like the first half of this message is is me explaining the importance of planning and the shortness of time and then the second half is kind of the application of okay well then what do we do with that and so before we get to that last half that we need to realize that no matter what you're doing you are always spending your time the phrase time is money is is false because time is not at all like money you can put your money in a bank you can let it earn interest. You'll have more as long as you don't touch it. There's a, there's a thing about money that as long as you don't spend it, it'll still be there and it'll, it'll grow however it's going to grow. But not so with time. There's no place to, to bank your time. Every moment you have is immediately gone. It, by definition, burns a hole in your pocket. Whether you intend to or not, you spend each minute. So do so intentionally. And some of us waste time. We waste time in all kinds of ways. And one of the key ways that that I see and that I've seen in my own life is by thinking too much about not wanting to waste time. As ironic as that sounds, like we kind of spin around thinking like, well, I don't want to waste a moment. And so then by doing that, we end up wasting every moment because we never fully invest anywhere. Maybe you spend your time wondering if you're in the right job or the right house or the right relationship. And meanwhile, while you're wondering all of that, Life is happening around you. I mean, imagine, th- think, think of your favorite store. Like whatever, whatever is kind of your, like if you could choose to go into a store with money, where would you go? And then imagine that, that I give you $1,000 in cash. And we go in together to this store. And we walk in, as you start to walk around, you notice something that every second I'm taking a dollar out of your hand. And you don't really notice it at first. You're just like, I don't know what you're doing, but "Ah, it's just a dollar. It's a big deal. It's not a big deal. So you just keep walking around, and meanwhile, like every second, I'm just grabbing one, grabbing one, grabbing one. Pretty soon, what happens? By the time you're ready to do something, by the time you're ready to pull the trigger on purchasing something, you look, and it's all gone. We do. We don't get more time. We get the time that God gives to us. There's no way to increase that. And if we don't have a plan, if we're not intentional about our use of it, it will be gone before we know it. So then, how do we? How do we do this? I mean we know that plans then are plans can be incredible the way that we the way that we approach them the way that we think about them they can be very good and we, we know this because we we do plan for things the the first thing that we need to do in this application part though is is to consider what are we planning what then, what then do we plan? Because everyone plans something. So even when we, remember, we went back to the whole idea that everybody, like some of you are just total spontaneous people, everybody plans something. You think about the things that we plan, that, that we plan because they're important to us, and you consider those things. Like we plan weddings, we plan, you know, graduation parties, we plan vacations, we plan retirements. Here's something that I did not realize people planned until I moved here was deer hunting. I did not know this. I thought, okay, you build the stand and then like one morning in, was it November? See, I don't even know. Like, one, one, one morning in the late fall, you wake up, you grab your gun and you go up in the stand and sit in your lazy boy and wait. Like that's what I thought. But then I realized like I was talking to somebody one time and like, oh no, no, you're like out there all the work of the food plots and which really feels like cheating to me but whatever, I'm not, I'm not a hunter so I can't comment on that. Um, but like all this planning and preparation and all this that goes into it and the, and the reading and, the, and studying and the thinking about like different better ways to, to do it. There's, there's tons of planning that goes into that. But the question is we, we plan all of those things but how many of us plan The truly important things. Like, don't hear me wrong. I'm not saying it's wrong or bad to plan those other things. It's good to plan those things. That's a healthy thing to do. Like, you don't want to approach deer hunting the way that I thought people did by just throwing a rifle in the back seat of the the pickup and then driving along and be like, hey, deer, and then shoot out the window. That's a bad idea. My understanding is you could get arrested for something like that. So you don't do that. so, So that's not a bad thing. But what I am saying is that if we're going to plan these things, these things that are temporary, that are earthly, that will not last, how much more then should we plan things that are eternal, things of infinite worth? See, the gospel changes what we plan. It redefines what is important to us. It changes our priorities. Matthew 6, to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. See, God has no shortage of good gifts in store for those who love him. If you give your life to the kingdom, the kingdom is a treasure hidden in a field, and you've heard me say before that our problem is we just don't see that. We just think that, oh yeah, no, the kingdom is good, it's really good, love it, it's great. But we don't see it as a treasure hidden in a field that is, upon finding, we go and sell everything that we have so that we can have that. There's nothing that is more worthy of your energy, time, and thought than the kingdom. And so often our use of time is empty because our pursuits are in vain. Psalm 127, 1 says, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. There's a really simple question to ask yourself. What house are you working on right now? What house are you working to build? What what is dominating your thoughts? What is dominating your time? What is dominating your energy? Does that house look like a house that God would build? I mean, if you made a list of your priorities and made a list of how you spent your time, I think for a lot of us, they wouldn't line up because we'll say certain things are our priorities, but then when we line up our time, it doesn't match up. You probably would be amazed or maybe even disgusted by how much time you spend on things that you said weren't even that important. I mean, we would all say that relationships are incredibly important But how much time do you spend cultivating them? How many conversations? How much time do you spend praying for these relationships? Or taking advantage of little moments with them? I mean, here's the thing. This is the beautiful thing about investing in kingdom things is that you can invest in a business and it can fail. You can invest in a stock market and, and it can crash. You can can invest in in going hunting and and return with nothing. But investing in the kingdom never returns void. The Christ follower invests in kingdom things which will will not perish. Paul says to the church in Corinth, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, We're called to invest our time in kingdom pursuits and in, in works that will last. This, is, this has been a key verse to me in, in ministry philosophy because I believe that on the last day when, when, when our works are, are put before the Lord and they are passed through the fire, there's a lot of hay and straw out there and that, that makes me fearful that I'm like, I don't, I don't want that. And so I've been really clear about that, even as our church moves forward, that, that things like attendance and approval ratings and, and excitement after a big event or anything like that, that is, it's hay, it's straw, it doesn't last. But life transformation, people grasping the gospel and, and marriages being. Radically reconciled and people coming to a real understanding of who Jesus is and giving their life up for the sake of the kingdom and the gospel, like that lasts. That lasts. And it takes time and energy and planning to do those things. I, I hear from a lot of people that they feel disconnected. But in all my years of ministry, going back, you know, over two decades now of of ministry, when I talk to people who feel disconnected, they typically don't like the answer of how to be connected. It takes time. There's no substitute for time in developing family. It doesn't work that way. We all want a shortcut. We all want the best bang for the buck with our time. So I'll show up for an hour and 15 minutes for worship, but I don't have time to linger afterwards and have conversations. Like, I'm out the door and the car is running. I certainly don't have time to get together with other believers and share a meal and read the Bible and pray. And if I do go and do that, and if it doesn't work out exactly the way that I want it, then I just say, well, I tried that, didn't work. I went and it just didn't have a huge impact. What other area of our lives do we do that with? I mean, now I got deer hunting on the brain, so everything's going to pop up in that. But if you went and you did all that prepping and you went and, and you spent a day out there and you didn't get a deer, do you just quit? And you say, well, that was a waste of time. No, we know it takes time. We know that it's worthy of that. So why are we so hesitant to plan our time to give to the importance of building the church family? We have tons of time for other things. Like here's the encouragement. When you make your plans, think of eternity. In, in eternity, what will you wish you had spent your time doing? And work backwards from that. If it's worth, if it's important, it's worth planning. When I think about this, I've thought about in my life that how often that has held me back is just the willingness to even plan and say, you know what, this is worthy of my thought and my time and my effort to invest in. I mean, I love organizational systems. I used to get really excited watching TV shows about offices being organized. And I thought that would be amazing. If I had an office like that, I would rule the world. Quite literally. I would have written 28 books this morning. And I would have everything done that I've ever wanted to do. But the problem I realized was I loved the idea of being organized but not the effort required to be it everyone wants to be able to say the right thing to a hurting friend i get this a lot and i get it i understand i love walking through this with you but everyone wants to be able to say the right encouraging thing in that moment but the question is are you making a plan to be able to do that Are you investing time in reading your Bible every day so that you'll be prepared to give an answer for the hope that is in you? Almost every Christ follower I know wants to have a better prayer life. But who makes a plan to do that? Who says, okay, this is how I'm going to do this. I'm going to pray for these people. I'm going to pray for these things on, on this day. And we think, again, going back to that myth, like, well, that's unspiritual, Like when you pray, aren't you just supposed to pray about whatever comes into your mind? No. Look at how Jesus prayed in the New Testament. You do not get the feeling that this is spontaneous. Now, I'm not saying spontaneous prayers are bad. By all means, pray spontaneously. But pray with planning also. We all have great ideas of what we want to accomplish, but we don't take the time to plan it out. And so we need to do this. Discipling your children is a huge one. Plan out what you want to do with them. If you want to pray for their future spouse, then commit to making a plan. An an older cousin of mine gave me a bookmark when when we had our first child, and it had a different thing to pray for my child each day of the week. One was praying for their future spouse, one was for their future job, one was for their their hunger for, for God, their heart for the Lord. And if I had just enacted that, which this goes to the second whole problem here, if I had just done that, think of how many hundreds and hundreds of prayers I would have lifted up to God. But here's the problem. I have yet to find a plan that is so good that it will do the work for me. Like once you have the plan, you have to execute it, and the gospel gives us power to execute the plan. So we, we need to plan kingdom things, and we need to plan with kingdom power. Proverbs fourteen twenty three says, in all toil there is profit, but mere talk tends only to poverty. So don't just be a planner. Some people love the planning and hate the doing. Anything that is is worth doing is worth planning, and anything that is worth planning is worth doing. In all toil, there is a profit. What does that mean? Well, here's here's the good news in this. This is incredibly good news, and I I want you to hear this. When it says, in all toil, there is profit, you may look at that and say, well, how is that the case? I've worked hard in a lot of ways, and it feels like there is no profit. It's a gospel thing. The gospel gives us motivation to start and to do and to work because each step is about faithfulness. Because God, praise God, doesn't measure us based on on the results because the results aren't in our hands. He measures us based on our faithfulness, our trusting in Him for the results. There's no question that at the root of some of my laziness is what what if it doesn't work out? What if I plan all this and I do all this and then nothing comes of it? I don't want to waste my time. When you are endeavoring to build into the kingdom and you're doing it as an act of worship, it is never a waste of time. Even if the fruit doesn't look like what you thought it would look like. Proverbs 6 it says, go to the ant, O sluggard. It's not a very nice way to address your readers. Go to the ant, O sluggard, consider her ways and be wise, without having any chief, officer, or ruler. She prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? Look at this. If if the ant, not knowing the bigger goal. And having no chief, officer, or ruler works and executes a plan faithfully, and by doing that is able to feed a whole colony, how much more should we be willing and motivated to work hard when we do know the bigger picture? And the bigger picture is this, Ephesians 2.10, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. If you are a follower of Jesus, then God has prepared, He has planned works for you to do, and our calling is to be faithful and walk in them one step at a time. How does the ant gather all that food? It's one trip at a time. How do you invest in your children? It's one conversation at a time. One memory at a time. How do you grow in your understanding of God? It's one chapter at a time. It's one prayer at a time. It's one confession at a time. Like, no one sits down and just writes a book. Any author that you think of that has written books, if you ask them about their process, what they'll say is, you don't don't write a book. You just sit down and you write a little bit each day. Maybe you have things you planned on doing at one point, but time just seems past. It seems like, oh, now I don't, I don't have enough time to do that anymore. Maybe you were going to serve God overseas in a, in a specific place, but then life happened. Can I ask you, are you sure that that dream is dead? I mean, what would it look like for you to take a step in that? I mean, you surely aren't moving to South Asia today. What could you do to see what God's will is? Maybe you've always had grand plans or designs of family worship, and you're like, I want to lead my family spiritually, and so I want to gather us around and read and, and pray together. And now it seems like your kids are getting too old, and you feel like you've missed those opportunities. But what could you do right now? God does not run out for things for you to do. You've not missed the opportunity to do the works that God has prepared beforehand for you to do. How long will you lie there? When will you arise from your sleep? And the last way that the gospel frees us in this and and redefines the way we think is that even when we do plan and we plan in kingdom things and then we say, all right, I'm getting started and I'm doing it, we still have to deal with this elephant in the room of what if things don't turn out the way I thought they were going to turn out. Because the Bible is clear in Proverbs twenty-seven, one: do not boast about tomorrow for you do not know what a day may bring. So we don't boast in our plans. We don't say, well, this I'm totally going to do this. I'm going to do it in my own strength. Because you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. None of us do. But God does. Proverbs 16, 9. The heart of man plans his ways, but the Lord establishes his steps. See, the, the world makes plans. The world works hard to see those plans come to fruition And their worth is determined by the results. Not so with those who are in Christ. We make plans. We work hard. And we trust God's sovereign hand. And this is really good news. It's really good news because, one, because God is able, as Ephesians 3 says, He is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us. The gospel frees us from doubt about what is possible. So whenever you think, okay, this is the kingdom thing I felt called to, and I need to do this, and then you get this voice in you and say, well, you don't have enough time to do that. You don't have the skills to do that. No one's going to listen to you there. But in the gospel, we say, well, it's not dependent on my skills anyway. The results are not dependent on my skill set or my circumstances. And so when we ask hard questions of, well, why should I try in a marriage where my spouse has given up? Because each step you take in honoring your spouse is an act of worship to your God who is able to do far more abundantly than you could ask or imagine. You might say, well, why should I work hard in this job where nobody cares? Because every Thing you do is you work as unto the Lord and you are serving him why should I be honest and go about it this way when everybody else is is cheating and going about things in the wrong way because you're glorifying your father in heaven when you listen and you obey him and trust him so it frees us from that burden and it also frees us from tying our worth and our identity to the results of our plans because the one who is in control is our loving father. Proverbs 21:31 says the horse is made ready for the day of battle but the victory belongs to the Lord. Your worth and my worth is not dependent on the results that the world sees because victory comes from God that is our great hope think about all of the people in biblical and Christian history that have had to cling to this and have been faithful in the midst of these kinds of circumstances we read earlier from Jeremiah Jeremiah is called the weeping prophet and not because he's weeping with joy because everything was so awesome He is weeping because he is lamenting. He's giving this news and he's telling them. And and the whole time he's telling the people of Israel, God has a plan. It's going to happen a long time from now. But he has a plan. And he will work this out. And Jeremiah never sees that, but he is faithful Think about Stephen, the first martyr in the Christian faith. You can read about him in Acts 7. He wasn't thinking about results as he's giving this speech. He gives this incredible gospel presentation and they kill him. And while he sees him, it says that their, their teeth are actually grinding at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Why is Stephen continuing to share this message even as he sees the rage in people's faces? Because he doesn't see their rage, he sees Jesus. You want to know how you can persevere and how you can get through these circumstances where you're saying, okay, I I poured my heart into this. I'm scared to do it because what if it fails and how do I keep going in this? The simple answer is don't look at that. Look at Jesus. He is the author and perfecter of our faith. All things come into being through him. He is the one who brings victory, not us. I mean, do you think Paul knew this? Do I mean, you think Paul understood this as he sat in a prison cell praying for the people he'd met along the way during his missionary journeys? Like, think about Acts 16 and Paul singing songs of praise in a Philippian jail rather than grieving over a failed attempt to proclaim the gospel. Read, read Acts 16. Go home this week and read it and think about how would Paul be feeling? It's not like his, his missionary journey at that point in Philippi was an unmitigated success. It really wasn't. I mean, he converted a crazy, a crazy woman and then a, another woman like in that culture. This is not the beginnings of a huge megachurch movement. And then he's in prison and he's singing songs of praise. Why? Because he's not dependent on the results, because he knows he is being faithful and that victory belongs to the Lord. Jeremiah's prophecies pointed to something much larger. Stephen's testimony was recorded for all eternity, leading many to faith in Jesus. And Paul was broken free from that prison and led the jailer and his whole household to the Lord. And the church at Philippi was born. God orders our steps. He brings the victory. When Paul goes on and he's in another prison, thinking about his churches, he writes this to those same Philippians in chapter 4. He said, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. when you've done all these things, when you've sought first the kingdom of God, when you've been intentional and thoughtful about how you will spend your time building that house, when you have executed that plan, because the results belong to the Lord, you can be content in all circumstances. Paul knows of what he speaks. Contentment comes from knowing that all I have is Christ, and in Christ I have everything. Not just figuratively, but those in Christ are actual heirs to an actual kingdom. And the day is coming where time will no longer be a curse. We began this message by talking about how part of the curse is that days go like years and years go like days. Look at this from 2 Peter. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved. That with the Lord... One day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. Do you see what God is doing? On earth, we are always in this tension of things go slowly when we want them to go quickly, and they go quickly when they want them to go slowly, and God is preparing a place for us where that will be flipped with the things that we want to feel like a thousand years will feel like a thousand years and the things that anticipation or things that go in one day they will happen quickly because we will be free from the tyranny of time and when that happens God will give you all good gifts and there's coming a day where time is only a good thing In eternity, in the kingdom, time is never a ticking clock reminding you that time is running out. It is only a reminder of how much you have left to enjoy. And in Christ, we can receive a glimpse of that today where time is just a reminder of all that you have left to enjoy as gifts from your good Father. So do that today. Consider what you want to put your time into. Consider what is most valuable. Make plans. Act on them. Trust in God. Be content. And receive the gift of joy. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, God, for how you love us. God, we know that This is hard for us to to wrestle with because we are finite. We are limited. We are, we do not see fully. We do not see face to face. Right now we see in a mirror dimly. God, I pray you would give us a glimpse and I pray that that glimpse would charge our hearts. That as we consider the things that you are calling us to do, that we would not be limited by the curse, that we would not be thinking about how little time we have that we would be thinking about all the incredible things you can do and that we would invest in the kingdom we would invest in kingdom things that will last for all eternity that we will enjoy forever. God, I pray that we would think and plan and prioritize and work and receive all in light what we've already received from you. That those of us who are in Christ Jesus are your sons and your daughters and your kingdom is a treasure and a field. Amen.